Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. One of the most uniquely American forms of music is the blues. Uh, The blues was born here in America. It was born out of um, enslaved African-American people in the South. Um, And after their freedom was granted to them, uh, they were still living in strife and difficult times as they lived under Jim Crow uh, and different oppressive laws throughout the land. And as a response to that, as a cry and a lament of their soul, blues was born. It was born from first the songs that they would sing in the field, uh, but then it was the songs that they would sing in their communities. And it spread and it evolved and it became all sorts of different things. So you had Chicago blues, like Chuck Berry. And then you had New Orleans, you had Zydeco, which was like blues plus harmonica. And you had all sorts of different forms of the blues, most notably for most of us and many of us, the blues that came out of Memphis that became known as rock and roll. Of course, blues and rock and roll got very popular uh, once a young white man got put on the radio named Elvis Presley. But all of this blues was written and performed by people who deeply understood what suffering was. Now, fast forward to today. As we are here around St. Pete, as we live in our world, blues just isn't that popular anymore. Maybe you've got a blues station on your Pandora or your Spotify, but not a lot of people listen to the blues anymore. Now, maybe that's because it's kind of old-timey. You know, I also don't listen to a lot of ragtime music um, either. So maybe it's old-timey or, and just follow me on this one because I think this is what it actually is. We don't listen to blues because we are deathly afraid of suffering and talking about our suffering. We have a cultural allergy to suffering. We want to do whatever we can to prevent it. We don't want to suffer in the slightest. Whatever we have to do to work so we don't have to do it, whatever we have to do to numb it, we'll do that. But what we don't want to do is feel the full effects of suffering in our life. In fact, our culture has uh, presented many of us with all sorts of ways to avoid suffering or thinking about our suffering. We can numb ourselves with alcohol. We can doom scroll. We can just endlessly flip till Netflix till it keeps asking, are you still watching? (laughs) Yes, I'm still watching. Trying to take my mind off of my suffering. But it's come as a great cost to the church the way that we think about suffering. Because of our cultural allergy to suffering, Christians and non-Christians alike, all of us have experienced this, but the church especially is worse off for it. Why? Because God's chief means of growing his people is by walking with them in suffering whether it's the general hardships that we experience in life or bigger systemic events that we can't control. We have understood this in the past two years 
as we have lived through the 20s so far, it's been not great. And many of us have suffered in some ways, whether that's social isolation, changes at work, moving across the country. I mean, there's several of you who have moved across the country in this time. But all of these things, all of these places are moments where we might want to flee from suffering, moments where we might want to get away. But that's not what God has for us. For so many of us, for all of us, we try to dull the experience of suffering. We try to outrun it or escape it. But what we're really outrunning and escaping is how God is shaping us in this life. We forget that trials are required for our faith to grow. And what we're going to find in this chapter, chapter 5 of Exodus, is the people of God dealing with suffering. Moses uh, experienced the burning bush that we talked about last week. He returns to Egypt. He is ready to go. He gets his brother Aaron with him. They gather everybody together. They get the elders there and they say, hey, God has spoken to me. The Lord has spoken. He is going to bring us up out of the land of Egypt. And everybody is real happy about this news. They are real excited about what's to happen. And so Moses and Aaron get their first audience with the Pharaoh. And what happens next is what we're going to read together in Exodus 5. If you have a Bible, you can turn there and invite everyone to stand. Um, As I read Exodus 5, it'll also be on the screen behind me. And so we're going to read Exodus 5 and the first verse of chapter 6. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three-day journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, Why do you take the people away from their work? Go back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded that the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle, and therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier works be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves, wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least." So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? 
Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, Let us go sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce the number of bricks your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. City Church is the word of God, written over 3,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. Moses and Aaron, full of excitement and anticipation, ready to go, they head into the throne room of Pharaoh. And as soon as they get in there, they tell him, this is what the Lord has said. Let my people go. I mean, they, they come in hot. They come in ready to go. And of course, Pharaoh's response is not great. They come in saying, let my people go. That let my people go, uh, speaking of African-American music, was a part of the old hymn, Go Down Moses, the African-American spiritual song. And that was the hymn that they would use to communicate on the Underground Railroad. That's the song that they would sing to give people directions. It was written uh, or popularized by Harriet Tubman at that time. And that's what they ask Pharaoh to do. Let my people Go. Well, I mean, Pharaoh is, of course, not a fan of this idea. Um, He has a massive free labor source. And somebody says, you should give up your massive free labor source. And Pharaoh's response is no. In fact, Moses uses God's name, the name that God revealed to him, Yahweh, or as you see it in your Bible, the Lord. And Pharaoh kind of turns that around. I don't know the Lord. I don't know this Yahweh that you're talking about. I've never seen him. I've never heard of him. He doesn't tell me what to do. And so he tells them no. Well, then after that, Moses and Aaron speak a second time. And this time, this time they actually say, please. Uh, They actually sort of say, oh, please, we just want to go and make a sacrifice. It'll only take three days. Now, this may seem like what happens uh, in a number of our houses where your children demand something of you. I mean, they just like bark out an order. And if you're anything like me, I'll just stare them down. You bark an order at me. I'm just going to look at you until you come correct, which they often do. And all of a sudden, the second ask is, oh, may I please have the fruit snacks? Absolutely. Have at it. But if you just scream popcorn at me, not happening. 
it may seem a little bit like that's what's going on here. That they said, okay, he said no when we came in hot. Let me retry this with a please in there. But what's funny is if you go back to the burning bush, what they say the second time is actually the thing that God told them to say the first time. God tells them, go and ask Pharaoh for three days to go and worship. Go and ask Pharaoh and tell him that the God of the Hebrews sent you. He doesn't know my name. He doesn't know who I am. But if you tell him the God of Hebrews, he'll understand at least who you're talking about. You know, it's funny. The Bible doesn't make a big deal of this, but how often do we try to do something similar where we want to accomplish God's means by our ends? We want to get something done and maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's a godly thing, but we decide to kind of go on our own path for it. Probably more often than we want to admit. Probably more often we're a little bit like Moses where we come in hot to do the right thing, do it our own way, get told no, and then try again. Well, second try does not work either. Um, Please does not change Pharaoh's mind. Uh, Pharaoh is dead set. He's taking a hard pass on this Israel gets to leave idea. So he tells them, look, quit trying to give your people a break. You don't get a break. Quit enabling their laziness. Go back to your burdens. Pharaoh is not pleased. Pharaoh decides that it's not enough to sort of send Moses and Aaron back. He decides that he's going to make work a little bit harder. He's going to make a new rule. So he calls in all of the middle management. All of the middle management comes in and he decides to tell them, all right, here's the new rules. We're not giving them straw anymore. They've got to go find their own straw. They've got to pick up straw from wherever they can find it, but they've got to make the same number of bricks. This is making the task incredibly more difficult, but their quotas aren't changing. They're so lazy, I'm going to teach them how hard they can work. I'm going to show them how hard they can work. And then, and then Pharaoh says the quiet thing out loud. Pharaoh actually says why he is doing this so that they will have to work so hard that they won't be able to pay attention to lying words. Who's Pharaoh talking about there? They're going to have to work so hard that they won't pay attention to the lying words. He's talking about Moses and Aaron. This is, and some of my Hebrew scholars will have to check me on this, but the translation um, of verse uh, 9 could be, let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to fake news. That's what Pharaoh is telling them. I want them to completely disbelieve what Moses and Aaron have to say. Pharaoh is driving a wedge between Moses and the people. And he's doing a really good job. The tactic that he is going with is just sheer arrogance. Pharaoh takes God's personal name on his lips and says, who is Yahweh? Who is the Lord? Doesn't matter. I don't care. I don't care who he is because he doesn't tell me what to do. 
And I'm going to take this opportunity to further dehumanize the children of Israel. I'm going to take this chance to make their lives even worse. They thought that they were slaves before. They're just going to be cogs in the machine that makes my kingdom run. Now, here's the thing. Most of us here are not in the position of Pharaoh. And most of us here have settled the question over whether slavery is good as good or bad. Well, at least here in St. Pete, I thought we had done that. And then many of you saw last week uh, the folks over Tyrone Boulevard flying the Nazi flags, um, which is incredibly disappointing. Uh, so most of us would go, well, I'm not that. I've hardly enslaved anybody. But how often do we dehumanize others? How often do we turn people into objects? Let me give you a few examples that maybe, maybe some of us understand. When we, when we turn somebody and vilify somebody, we turn them into an adversary and not a person. And the way that we think about them and treat them is dehumanizing. We objectify others through pornography, taking away their personhood and using them as simple means to our own pleasure. We marginalize others, ignoring them, refusing to listen to their stories. And all of these things, all of these things turn humans into objects and obstacles when we are the main character, when we are the center of everything. We are failing to see people as hurting, in need of love, and dignity. Pharaoh did that on a times ten, times a thousand scale, but we have that same seed inside of all of us. And then Pharaoh's pride comes to a peak in verse 10. Pharaoh sends out the middle management with the news about the straw, the news about the bricks. He sends them out. And what does Pharaoh say? Thus says Pharaoh, no more straw for bricks which is just a really interesting turn of phrase for him because what started this whole scene in the first place? Thus says Yahweh. And Pharaoh says, I don't care what Yahweh says. Pharaoh's in charge. And here's what I say. For all intents and purposes, the God of Egypt is me. And so now they have to make bricks with more without straw, and they have to keep making the same amount. Well, this goes exactly how you think it's going. They're not able to keep up. And so, what does Pharaoh do? He tells the taskmasters to beat the foreman. And they do. And they do. And so now, all of a sudden, these foremen, these people of Israel who were put in charge of all of the other slaves in Israel, come in to Pharaoh. They get an audience with him. And what do they say? They approach Pharaoh and they say, well, we are your servants, Pharaoh. Three times when the task or when the uh, foremen come in to talk to Pharaoh, three times they identify themselves as Pharaoh's servants. What's really interesting is um, we, in the English language, the word service kind of has two meanings. So we use service to talk about work a lot of times. Some of you work in the service industry. 
We understand that that's service. We get that. But that's also what we call it when we gather together to worship, right? This is a worship service. And so we use service for both work and worship. The Hebrew underneath here has that same play on words. God said to Moses, I'm going to take my people out so they might serve me. I want them to be the servants of God. But Israel, upon receiving several beatings, says, we are just the lowly servants of Pharaoh. They are so beaten down by this that they identify themselves according to what Pharaoh says about them. They have disordered worship. They're worshiping the wrong thing. And because of that, they have a disordered identity. Now, I know most of you here are Christians. And if I ask you what you worshiped, all of you would say, I worship God. I worship Jesus. Of course, that's the only thing I worship. And, and, and we're trained to sort of reflexively say that. But our lives betray us. Our thoughts betray us because oftentimes we worship other things as well. We kind of mix other things in. Um, Tim Chester, when he was considering this question, um, said this, think about who you fear when you fail. Think about who you're tempted to lie or exaggerate to in order to impress them. Think about whose disapproval makes you feel crushed. These questions will indicate who your real God is. The people were so downtrodden in the midst of their suffering that they identified as servants of Pharaoh and not servants of the Lord. But Pharaoh is not swayed by these middle managers, by these Hebrew leaders coming in. He calls them lazy twice. You're lazy. That's what he, you're idle. You're lazy. Quit complaining. You're just lazy. And so they're leaving. And you can almost like hear Moses and Aaron like trying to like listen through the door. Because it says as soon as they came out from Pharaoh, Moses and Aaron were there. How'd, how'd it go, guys? How'd it go? I think Moses and Aaron should have had an idea of how this was going to go. But they ask anyway. And what do the people say? What do the people say to Moses and Aaron? They call down judgment on them. They said, you have done this to us, Moses. You are the one who made us stink in the eyes of Pharaoh. You have put a sword in his hand to kill us. You loaded the gun and handed it to him. Well, this is not what Moses expected to happen. This is not going according to Moses' plan. Moses thought he was going to come back into Egypt, say, let my people go because the Lord said so, and then they were going to leave, and it was going to be great. And instead, things have gotten worse. Ever since Moses showed up, things have gotten worse and worse. So Moses actually does something good here. He turns to God. He turns to God and says, why why have you done this evil to your people? Why did you ever send me? You haven't delivered your people at all. In fact, you've made it worse. God, what are you doing? 
Moses struggles with God's timing and God's plan, just like we do. In the midst of our darkest moments, God is often working beautiful redemption, but we cannot see it at the time. Moses' cry of, why did you ever send me, should remind us of another cry that was very similar. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even Jesus understood this feeling. Jesus understood as he cried from the cross what it feels like to be hung out to dry, for things not to go the way that you planned them, for things not to be easy for us to endure suffering. But as Jesus was going through that, as he cried out, why have you forsaken me? In that darkest of moment, what's happening? Redemption for you and me is being accomplished and applied in our lives. God works through suffering, just like the suffering of the people of Israel was a part of them being delivered out of Egypt. Jesus' suffering on the cross is what brings us salvation, and now God still uses suffering today in your life and mine to grow our souls. Beloved, let's not run from suffering. Let's not run from the dark places and the hard places. Let's be curious about what is God forming in us through our suffering. What is God doing in these moments? Let's not numb our pain. Let's investigate what God might be trying to do. But you notice I also read the first verse of chapter 6 because I didn't want to leave us on a complete bummer. Because while suffering is a normal part of the Christian life, it's never the last part of the Christian life. While suffering is a normal part of our living and being on planet Earth, it never has the last word. Moses, God says, now. Now you are going to see what I am going to do. Now you are going to see my strong hand as I deliver my people. Now is the time for me to end their suffering. Suffering is normal, but it isn't ultimate. Even I mentioned before the song, Go Down Moses, that early sort of proto-blues song. Even that song has built in it the hope that suffering isn't forever. The last verse of, of Go Down Moses says this, when they reached the other shore, let my people go. They sang a song of triumph over, let my people go. Let's pray.